You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Hebrews chapter 4. If you were here uh, last week or you heard or you caught the message on the podcast last week, um, I know last week was quite the, it was an icy Sunday, uh, but, but we, this message is going to be segueing off of that one. So I, I guess you could say if you heard last week's message, uh, you have a leg up on this week's message. It's kind of bleeding into the next one. Uh, they're very similar kind of with some of the thoughts we ended with and some of the thoughts we're going to be continuing on with today because the theme uh, of today is, is God's rest. And I know I just spent all this time talking to you about to be active and serve, right? And, and then you're going to be talking to us about rest. Like, what? That doesn't really work together, there, preacher. But you're going to see, I think, today a, a message that has been very encouraging to my heart. And, and, I, and I hope it will be to you as well, for it is speaking about the rest that God provides. And that rest isn't always just a nap or something, right? It's, but it, it's, a, it's a rest that he supplies, an enduring rest, a supplying uh, a, a rest that, it reinv- that invigorates us. And it's, it's called actually in Hebrews 4, a Sabbath rest. And what that looks like for us who are believers, who follow Jesus and walk in him and serve him with our lives. What does it mean to enter the promised rest that God only can provide? And so as we know from Hebrews, there's a, there's a lot of Old Testament allusions, a lot of Old Testament storyline last week. We looked at that Old Testament passages, which we will as well this week as well, looking at kind of how the people of God were wandering in the wilderness. They come up to the edge of the promised land. They send spies into the land, and they do not believe God. And God says, I am judging you, and you will not enter the promised land of rest, except for Joshua and Caleb. We know those stories. We'll look at that in a moment. And he shares those things that they shall not enter my rest. And if Joshua had been able, even when he led them into the promised land, if he had been able to give them the rest that they wanted, he would not have spoken about another rest to come. That is the Sabbath rest, the eternal rest that God provides. And that is the spiritual rest that I think we all can enjoy now and we long to enjoy in its fullness when he returns. So that's kind of the the background as to what's going on here. And then he warns us to believe in Jesus so that we may not fall away from that rest that he provides, okay? That help? So let's start. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Here he goes, and he begins again with therefore, just like he did in in chapter 3, therefore. So verse 1 of chapter 4, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 2, for good news came to us, just as it did to them, But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. That's a really key verse. You can underline that in your Bible, verse three. As he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a quote from the Old Testament in Numbers. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Quoting from Genesis, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Verse five, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. You notice a theme of rest coming here. Verse six, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, 
which is a quote from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We talked about that last week. If you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Verse eight, chapter four. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains, and get this, a Sabbath rest. Some of your translations might say a special rest for the people of God. Verse 10, and for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And then verse 11 kind of encourages as the preacher does, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let me just pray briefly. God, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you, God, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. May you teach us, Lord. May you speak to us from this chapter today in Jesus' name, amen. So I think the message today is, is, is somewhat simple in that it, we're talking about rest, a rest that God provides, God's rest. And yet we've been leading up into this point, we've been talking a lot about Jesus Christ as we should in every sermon and every passage of scripture we can draw there and, and it's as Jesus, we've been looking at him, is greater and far superior. Chapter one, he's more greater than the angels, he's greater than the law and the prophets, he's greater and he's greater, he's greater. Jesus is God, Jesus is man. These are the things that he has been building up into this point. And this, in chapter three, we looked at how Jesus is greater than Moses. And then even here in this chapter today, he's gonna be looking at how Jesus is even greater than Joshua. And so he keeps building all these things. And yet, as I will call the author of Hebrews, since we don't technically know who the actual author is, obviously the Holy Spirit is inspiring these things, but yet we look at it, and I, I sometimes call him the preacher. Remember we talked about how Hebrews is like a sermon. And so the preacher here is, however, warning you consistently as he's building a case that Jesus is superior than all things and that we ought to worship Jesus and we ought to look at Jesus and we ought to consider Jesus and we ought to follow Jesus as he's been doing this, yet throughout the entire book he consistently asks you, do you believe in Jesus? So it's one thing to, to know Jesus is superior. It's one thing to, to read and to factually get into your head that Jesus is greater. It's another to believe in him. That's what separates often teaching of things and the preaching of God's word, that I can teach you a whole bunch of stuff about the Bible, but at the end of the day, do you believe it? Right? Do you believe? There you go. And so that, that's in our hearts. We yell out, do we believe? I believe in Jesus, right? This is that, that thing that the, the Hebrew author, I don't even, the, in, the author of Hebrews, I don't even have to like try to weave in the application. He's often just right in your face like, do you believe this? Is this someone you're following? Do you, do not fall away from this for you will fall away from the belief that you have first placed your trust in him. Like don't, don't, don't fall away from it. Take care. Be careful, and so he, he's often doing this. And Hebrews 11 talks a lot about faith and belief. It's a major theme throughout the whole book. Hebrews eleven six: for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's from Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, where it says, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham. It says all those things. And then we know that this is ultimately, we are saved by faith, right? Faith, belief, and trust in God, however you wanna describe it. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace, you have been saved through 
faith, right? Faith. It's not a, my own doing, it's, it's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast. So the, the author of Hebrews here is predominantly preaching at you, but he's preaching to a select audience, and he, I would say he's preaching to people like you, people like you, many, many people right here. He's preaching to, to many people who've chosen to come to church today to hear God's word. He's, he's preaching to people who already believe. He's preaching to them and he's exhorting them and he's encouraging them and he's challenging them to hold fast to their belief and don't drop the ball. Not that we hold up our salvation. It's not what he's saying. He's saying don't let go. He says so often. I, it's almost like feels like every chapter he says hold fast to something. Every chapter. You read through Hebrews, you read through it sometimes. Hold fast, hold fast. Last week we talked about holding onto the ball. Don't fumble it. Don't drop it. When you come down with that rebound, don't bring it down where everyone can steal it from you. Don't presume upon the kindness and the mercy of God that you'll always have tomorrow. Oh, we got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. I'll just limply hold on to my faith in my hand like this. No. The idea is that the Satan is out there, that the sin will harden your heart. Don't act as if it is just a casual thing. Hold fast to it. It's important. This is an eternal thing. Keep the faith, we'll say sometimes, right? Keep the faith. Keep the faith, brother. I tried keeping the faith last night, but I went to bed in the third quarter, okay? The Patriots game, right? We, I don't got it, okay? You knew a Patriots illustration was coming. I got it out of my system. We're moving on, okay? We're on to next season, right? Amen. Preach it, okay. Well, that's the most amens I've gotten. Wow, we got some more preaching to do here. All right. Um, keep the faith. Don't let go. And it, you could say, believe, right? That's what he's saying here. And therefore, the, the promise still remains for us to believe. He says this in 3, 6 of chapter 3, verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. 3, verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. We are, we are believers. We come to share if indeed we hold onto our original confidence firm to the end. Take care, he says. This is what he's preaching, this word of God. It pierces, it discerns our intents and our hearts, he knows. And so when we believe, it is so important for us to hold fast onto that, not casually step into Christianity, casually step into our faith if we get around to it. It's a, it's a thing, it's a matter of urgency. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But why? Why does he go to this length of describing in these things and these stories from the past? Well, he quotes from Psalm 95, verse seven through 11, but he's quoting a story that we looked at last week. One of them was an example of Moses. Remember, he's, he was called to speak to the rock, and the, and the people knew that he was called to speak to the rock, but what did he do? In his frustration and his anger, he hits the rock, right, twice. God judges him for his lack of belief, which is fascinating. In fact, in, in, in Numbers 14, 11, it says that the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? Oh, sorry, this is actually in relation to the other one, but he does the same thing in, to Moses in Numbers 20 where he says, why is it that you did not believe me? And then what I wanna do is go to Numbers 13. Go to Numbers 13. We don't, I'm not gonna necessarily look at the whole passage here, but I do want you to see it because I think it's worth looking at the passage rather than me just talking about it. I also recognize that many of you, maybe some of you might not have grown up in church and heard all the Sunday school stories. So sometimes when I just reference these, eh, you're kind of confused as to know what are you talking about. But in Numbers chapter 13, this is the spies that are sent into Canaan. And as kids, we did the 12 men went to spy in Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. Did you guys sing that song? You're like, keep going, man. I'm like, that's it. You got one bar right there. Okay, 12 men went to spy in Canaan, 10 were 
bad to we're good, okay? That's the story here, Numbers 13. Numbers 13, they, they send the spies into the land. They've been wandering. They go into the promised land. They're on the edge of the promised land looking into it. They send spies into the land to see and get a report of what it is like. And we read in Psalm, uh, sorry, Numbers 13, verse 25. Verse 25 of Numbers 13, it says, and at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness at Paran, at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to a land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. You're like, wow, that's awesome, right? However, the people, not interesting, the shift. This is what it is. However, the people who dwell in the land are very strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw descendants of the Anak there, or the giants, and the Amalekites dwell in the land and the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. You see the enemies and enemies and enemies and enemies. Verse 30, but, I love this, but Caleb. But Caleb quieted the people. Everybody sh- quiet, he says. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once right now and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up against him, the other 10 spies said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land and they, that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out, it, it's a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that were in it saw it of a great height, and there were the Nephilim, the son of Anak, and the, the Nephilim, which to ourselves were like grasshoppers, they say, and so we seem to them. And then they go in, and the people are bickering and rebelling and quarreling. Why don't we elect a leader to go back to Egypt? It would have been better we died there than we die out here. That's what they say. And Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord speaks to Moses, and in Numbers 14, 11, this is the verse that I was referencing earlier, which is also very similar to the way Moses, God speaks to Moses when he disbelieves, but it says in 14, verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses in response to all of this, how long will, this peop- will these people despise me? And then notice what he says in Numbers 14, 11. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of say that, that they, they broke a law or they messed up in this area, or they didn't do a sacrifice, or these kinds of things. Or they... Notice what his, his judgment is upon the people. What is it that they did wrong? What's the core thing at the core of how they were at? Well, in Numbers 14, 11, how long will they not believe in me? It's this life on the edge there, right there standing on the border of belief and it's a bridge too far if you could. I can still remember as a, well, we actually just did this at the men's retreat a few weeks ago where you go on a zip line and you, you know, zip down across this valley thing. We did that. It was a lot of fun at the Wilds of New England. But I can still remember as a kid at Dublin there was a, a lake, a pond there and, and there was a zip line and, and it had a big tower that you climbed up and as a little kid I can still remember like all my other friends like yeah this is going to be awesome I can't wait to do it and I, I would always get nervous because I'm not a crazy person like that and so I would always get nervous when I would get to that zip line the guy gets it in your hands and he's like alright go because when you go on the zip line you drop out into the water and you fall in the water it was really cool but as a kid I'm standing on that edge right <laughs> you grab that thing and you're like 
do I do it, right? Do I go? Do I go? You have that chance. You have that decision. You have that moment where you're, you're looking down all of a sudden and your friends are like, yo, go, hurry up, right? And you have that moment where you can, you can let go and fall away and turn around and go back the way you came. Or you can take that leap of faith, right? And you can go off the platform, right? And you can, you can go for it. Take that step. I think that's almost in a moment where every one of us is faced with that in our lives. And God punishes them here for their unbelief. They did not trust him. They did not trust him. And they chose to disobey. And it says they chose to rebel. And then they tried making up for it. In Numbers 14, they tried to say, well, we made a mistake, but let's fight him anyway. So they go after him and they fail. And Moses tells them, in verse 44 of Numbers 14, it says, but they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country and they were defeated. It says they presumed upon God. Moses strikes the rock and yet in Hebrews, this is about the passage, the context of what he's talking about. All the way back in Hebrews chapter three, this is what he's talking about. The people who heard, the people who saw the Red Sea parted were the same people who stood on the edge of the precipice of the promised land and did not believe. It did not enter. They did not believe. And so the warning, he says, is for us as well. In, Romans th- uh, in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, he's telling us the very same thing. He says in Hebrews 4, 1, therefore the promise of entering his rest still stands, so let us fear, lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. And take care, lest any- there be an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. That's verse 12 of chapter 3. So the warning goes to us. This is similar to the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. Probably you're familiar with this, maybe if you weren't with the other. Uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. You're familiar with that. A man goes out to sow the field. He sows the seeds into the soils. And there's the different types of soil. And specifically in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus shares the story about a particular soil that I think relates perfectly to what Hebrews is teaching us is Matthew 13 verse 20. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. You get that? He hears the word, he immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. Does not take root and he endures it for a while, but when it gets hard, when the tribulation and the persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately, he uses the same words here, he falls away. The word lands on rocky soil and it is not a a softened soil of heart that is ready to receive in humility whatever God would say. It's a hardened soil that receives it for a moment and throws it back in his face. And it is other places where it says that the birds come in and steal the seed and the soil and all this, right? And so this isn't the sense I believe as we're gonna look at later in coming chapters. This isn't what I'm talking about is like a sense of losing your salvation. We're not talking about that in some days. Yes, the words fall away and failing to enter are speaking into here, but I believe the Bible teaches the, the aspect that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. That God in that sense, so, and yet at the same moment, we are not presuming upon the mercy and the kindness of God that will always be there, for we do not know if we have tomorrow. So for those of you who are seeking to, do I receive this word? Do I allow it to take root into my life? The Hebrew author here is saying, yes, believe. Let it take root because you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know. And yet we're not here also saying that you need to gain salvation 
through your work and effort. Michael Heisler says, what cannot be gained by moral perfection cannot be lost through moral imperfection. Well, I didn't measure up today, so now I've lost my salvation. Whoops, I hope I do better tomorrow. It's not that sense of faith. It's not that sense of what's going on. And work and faith, James speaks about it. If our works don't back up our faith, then it is a sense that do you have faith if there's nothing, if your life evidences no fruit and there's no life and there's no life change, if there's nothing of that, then the question remains, have you believed? Or the question would remain for us presently, do you believe? And when the rubber meets the road, when the soil meets, when the seed meets the soil, when the challenge for you to step across the Jordan and enter the, the land of rest, despite the giants and the tribulations, do you believe to trust God and take him at his word and go wherever he leads you? To trust him with whatever he says. For sin will do the opposite. It will harden the soil of our heart And every moment you hear God's word preached to you, that's why every service is so important. Every moment you hear God's word preached to you, every moment you open God's word and you have it in your hands, you have a chance to do what the Bible says here in Hebrews 4, verse, uh, you could say even in verse chapter three, chapter four, in verse seven, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, today, right now. James 4.14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's like a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes away. You have no idea. The, the, The grace of God that is poured out on you every time you are receiving a chance to soften your heart and draw near to him. That is God's grace upon you. The fact that you're in this building right now is God's grace upon you. The fact that you're at home being able to listen to God's word preached to you is God's grace upon your life. Do not presume upon God's grace that you'll always have tomorrow. Uh, I'll get serious about that later on. Whenever I get time, when I get my life in order, then I'll believe for real and get into that. No, it's too late then. You've hardened your heart and you've taken steps away. So he says, what am I supposed to do? about that. What am I supposed to do now? Okay, if I'm supposed to not harden my heart, what am I supposed to do? Well, he's saying hold fast and listen to his voice. Remember your past. Remember what you believe and trust in that. Hear him. We share in Christ and hold fast onto that. Hear his voice and walk in that and believe. Do not allow yourself to fall away and, and, and kind of not necessarily doubt, but fall away from what you truly believed in the beginning. Continue on, keep running. This is the passage, this is the journey of faith of what he's speaking of. And then ultimately, we need to recognize that the promise still stands. I love that in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, the promise of entering his rest, not the literal promised land, but the promise of entering his rest still stands. Like it's still right now. You still have the chance. Right now, don't, don't let it go. Right now, enter that rest. Let us fear that we should have seemed to have fallen away. There remains, in chapter four, verse nine, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's there, it remains for you right now, okay? So don't, don't, don't just neglect it. And I like the way that Michael Kruger, one writer, says, well, how do we enter this rest? And he puts it in three very simple terms kind of as we're drawing this to a close. The rest of God and the peace that God provides in a relationship with him is, is gained through these three words. One of the first one is faith. We've already talked about that. Faith, not unbelief. It is through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Believe in him. The second is actually a word that might be striking to us is the word fear. For in chapter four, verse one, he says, let us fear. Let us fear. Fear? 
Fear, not indifference. This idea of reverential awe of God. Do not be indifferent to the power and the authority and the greatness of God. You fear him for his greatness, but we fear him because he's also in his, in his intimate nearness that he knows, and the word of God strikes down to your core and knows your very heart. You'll see later on in Hebrews 4, the word of God is a living and active, sharper and two-edged sword, piercing to the division of souls and the joints of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It goes right down deep and knows exactly where you are. So you fear him for he knows your heart. And yet the beauty of it is that he loves you still and he offers his grace to you right now. And then the last one is fight. Faith, fear, fight. It is fighting. It is this holding fast. It is this clinging. It's this running. It's a journey. It's a marathon. It's keeping going. It's, a, it's an endurance race. It's not a sprint. It's not a start. The first quarter good, but the other three don't matter. It's a, it's a running the race. It's a keeping the faith. And it can be tiring and hard, and so some of you are like, I, Pastor, I thought you were talking about rest today. <laughs> well, that's what we're closing with. This is Sabbath rest I wanna speak about, because I know what I just spoke about comes sometimes, as life can feel, feel hard and difficult and weary and wearisome. But notice in verse nine, verse eight and nine of chapter four, if Joshua had given them a rest, God would not have spoken about another day of later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Sabbath rest, this is an interesting word where this is speaking about back into like Genesis where he's hearkening back. He's speaking back into the beginning in Genesis when God rested from all his works. He created, he made, and then he rested. He rested. This is a beautiful picture, I believe, of what, what it means to walk in the original design that God had for mankind. The original design for our life was to live in the Sabbath rest that he provides and to step into that rest and work out from that. It mirrors the rest from the beginning. For somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way, this is Hebrews 4.4, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This Canaan rest harkens back to Eden, which teaches us even about today. And I think sometimes when we think about, oh, I gotta go to work tomorrow, I got the hardship of difficulty and the labor of life and the wearisome of hard and loss and sorrow, We look forward to a day where there will be no more of that. A rest that comes only from God, a rest that is truly a Sabbath rest. You see this word in verse nine when it says a Sabbath rest. There's been one Hebrew word that's used throughout the whole chapter for rest. It mentions like six, seven times, rest, 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 rest. And then all of a sudden, bam, right in your face, verse nine, it says Sabbath rest. It's different. This is a different word, two different words. Rest, 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 rest for in, in the Greek word here and then all of a sudden it switches gears and in verse nine, then there remains and you're expecting the word rest and he says a Sabbath rest. It's a totally different word and yet he combines them. It's this, it's actually the, go back into it, it's, it's kind of the sense of, of Noah resting from his weariness when the ark was being tossed into and fro on the water and then it came to rest upon Mount Ararat. There's a solid sense of that. And then from that resting of the tossing and the turning and the weariness of life, there becomes now a completion that we get to step into, the completion of the new creation. That is the people of God with a new creation that God has now a eternal Sabbath rest for us to live and operate in. Not a temporary one where the weekend's gone, you're like, oh, it's Monday again. <laughs> but an eternal Sabbath rest that the people of God get to enter into. And who are the people of God? The people who believe. 
These people, those people, the people who believe. Verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest. If you believe in God, you get to enter into his rest. And that rest is a beautiful thing. It is many things. I don't have time to get into all of them, but the rest that he provides is, I think in many ways, mirrored by the pictures of a relationship I was speaking with some people this week that spoke about this feeling of what it's like to to be in a relationship where there is unrest. Have you been there? Maybe you are in there. I know what that's like. I know that feeling. Sometimes I cause that problem. Sometimes it's caused by someone else. But that's the sense of in a relationship where there is unrest. It's a restless place. It's tiring. It's wearisome. It's difficult hard and then you've ever been in a relationship where there is honest shalom there's peace there's mercy there's forgiveness there's openness you can be yourself you can as the spirit of God says in John 14 you can he has come and he dwells with us and he makes his home with us does he not it's a place where you can be at home and I believe that's exactly what, what he's trying to say. For in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, Jesus, and I will give you rest. He's not speaking that we all need to move to the promised land in Israel and that's where the rest is. No, that's a foreshadowing of what is to come. These things of the old covenant are a foreshadowing, a shadowing where Christ, as it says in Colossians, is the substance and we walk in him and we know that ultimately in that picture of the Old Testament, we see this this picture of exactly of what typifies the spiritual life. There is a wilderness wandering, is there not? You read through Numbers and Deuteronomy and you read about what it was like to be the people of God and wander in a desert wilderness, setting up the tent, taking it down and moving. Setting up the tent, taking it down and moving. And anybody who knows what it's like to be in between, that is a difficult place of restlessness and unrest. And then you know what the feeling of like it is to find that home where you can move into that home, you can dwell in that home, and like Hebrews 3 taught us already, God builds the home, and the builder of everything is God. And Jesus is the one who is Lord of that home, and we are his household as being the house in that home. He makes our home and dwells with us. So now, as the promised land, we come into the wilderness wandering, and there's a bad relationship of difficulty and disobedience and rebellion, yet God loves us still, and we come to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua takes the people of God and says, let's go into the land. And we cross, and he puts that foot. You know what happens? They put the foot, as it says in Numbers, into the Jordan River. And it actually says the feet go into the water. And the water doesn't do anything. And then it moves. <laughs> and they cross into the Jordan, and they go into that place of rest. And yet even that rest, he says, Joshua couldn't lead them into that final rest, for that wasn't the final rest. It wasn't it. He wouldn't have spoken about another day to come. For there's another day of an eternal Sabbath rest for those who believe the people of God. Just like God created and rested, you too, as a new creation, will now walk and work into your lives and live and usher into the final Sabbath rest that he provides for the people of God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing as we enter and we stop wandering, we stop lacking of trust, but we believe and we're in a relationship with God of openness and honesty that harkens back to the place where that was perfect. Where was that? That was Eden where God walked with man in the cool of the garden. 
That is what we experience as the people of God, the family of God, the people who are dwelling in the rest that he provides because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And I am giving you a a taste of what's to come next week for Jesus is the great high priest, that one who who allows that bridge across the Jordan to happen, who allows that ability for us to be in a relationship. We have a great high priest who passed through all of that and entered in the heavens, one who we can go before, one who is without sin, who we can draw near through to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace and help in time of need. That's the Jesus we serve, and so I think to close, it's this Hebrews 4 verse 11 kind of feel that I wanna end with as the preacher me and the Hebrews preacher, we preach together here, right? And we're preaching at you, but we're preaching at me. The passage in in Hebrews 4 verse 11, that kind of rest remains for all of us, so do not let it slip. Don't drop the ball, don't act like you have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. The passage is urging us to continue on, press on, keep running, keep the faith, don't let go, and believe. And he says in verse 11, therefore, let us strive, does he not? Let us strive, keep working. The word is even, let us labor. The work of laboring in Christ and in the spirit of God that will empower you, strive to enter that rest. 